Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 18 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today, I'm airing a special Coffee Smarter recap episode. I'm actually out of town acting as a guest barista at Trailfest, a San Diego Mountain Biking Association fundraiser and campout here in Southern California. I had planned on just taking a week off from the show. We're near the end of the season, and frankly, a break sounded pretty good to me. But while I was hosting an event last weekend, a listener came up and said, I wish you would do a show about water, which got me a little confused because I was pretty sure that I had. I came home, checked the archives, and you know what? I was right. We've done two water-heavy episodes on this show, including the second Coffee Smarter session ever way back in season one. And I know that was a long time ago, and we have new listeners now, and so much content to work through in the archives. So instead of taking the week off completely, I cut together this episode featuring conversations with both Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting and Siri Simran Kalsa of Lofty Coffee. In the first, with Chris, we cover some very basic topics like how hot water should be, what ratio of water to coffee should we use, and so on. In the second, with Siri, we go deeper into what is happening in the coffee blooming phase of brewing, which is the moment when the water and coffee interact for the very first time. Then we go a little bit more in depth in what the Specialty Coffee Association says about water for coffee. These conversations will sound a bit different from each other and probably from this recording right now. For the first, I wasn't recording in the closet studio back then, and I certainly wasn't as worldly and podcast smart as I am now, or at least I am aspiring to be now. But what our Coffee Smarter experts are sharing is still great information. And I hope you enjoy this Coffee Smarter session. With coffee experts Siri Simran Kulsa, Executive Director of Lofty Coffee Company, and Chris O'Brien, Founder and Head Roaster of Coffee Cycle Roasting. Chris, welcome back to Rose West Coast. I'm I'm excited and shocked that you came back. I, I am too, honestly. Uh, I'm a little shocked, but I just I just couldn't help myself. I, I had to. I had to help educate you about coffee. It, it was like a moral imperative. I feel like you saw what a lost cause I was on the first one, and you thought this will be the thing that gets me some like good karma points for the week. Ryan, I've known you were a lost cause for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> This week, I want to ask you three things about water, because water is water is essential to everything, but especially to coffee. When we're brewing coffee in the morning, does the ratio of water to coffee beans matter? Does the length that the beans sit in that water matter? And is there a rule about how hot that water should be? Well, this is a great set of questions, because as you pointed out, water is, is most of what we're drinking when we drink coffee. That being said... Drink water with your coffee too, because you do need to stay hydrated and coffee and alone will not do it. Um, But yes, water is the most important thing other than coffee that you're putting into the drink. So to answer your questions, uh, the ratio of water to coffee beans, does it matter? Absolutely. There are 
organizations out there that do nothing but coffee. And the main one that we talk about in the coffee business is the Specialty Coffee Association. Specialty Coffee Association has a specific ratio of coffee to water that they say is ideal. That ratio is 16 to 1, 16 grams of water for every one gram of coffee beans. Most people at home probably aren't weighing their water or weighing their coffee. Maybe they are. That's great. People do it with tablespoons, teaspoons, cups, quarts, whatever it is, uh, the lines on your coffee maker. Um, but yes, basically, you don't have to be the SCA 16 to 1 perfect. I even prefer my coffee often at a 15 to 1 to a 16 to 1. But basically, find a ratio that you like and stick with it. As with anything, only change one variable at a time. So if you're changing your ratio, don't mess with your length of brewing time or temperature of water, which were the other two questions you asked me. So ratio, does it matter? Yes. Is there a perfect ideal ratio? SCA says yes, and it's 16 to 1. But really what matters most is do you like it? If you do, stick to that ratio. And I'll say, I'll just jump in and say that when you talk about most people maybe not measuring at home, I never measured at home until I learned that. I bought like a $10 kitchen scale off of Amazon, which kind of felt guilty about because I'd rather go to the local hardware store, but we're in a pandemic. So I ordered it and I measured basically once and just made some little marks on like all my different, on my French press and on my thing. And so now I just dump it into that so I know what I'm doing. I love it. That sounds great. Yeah, I would I would eyeball it back uh, before I owned a scale. I'd look at the level usually French press was what I used to use. And I'd say, okay, if I fill it up the depth of my thumb knuckle, you know, and then fill it up to the top, you know, and that was that was how I did it back then. But uh, but yeah, you just find some way to be consistent about it. And that's your ratio. Okay, so we still have the length of brewing and the temperature to talk about. Exactly. So the length of brewing doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Ryan, you like to belittle your own coffee knowledge, but obviously you set me up some good questions here. So the length of brewing matters. It will change a bit depending on your brewing method and how much you're brewing. So if you're brewing two gallons for your local church gathering, or if you're at a shop and you're brewing a gallon and a half, or if you're brewing just a cup for yourself, those might change a little bit. But generally, if you want to simplify it, you always want to be brewing somewhere between three and six minutes. That's pretty good up to like a gallon or so. So three to six minutes. So a French press, you're doing like four to six minutes. Um, if you have one of those little pour over things like, you know, the Melita cone that your grandma had or the Hario V60 or Chemex that your hipster friend has down the hallway, that's going to be three to four minutes, maybe five. But yeah, three to six minutes is a great brewing time. It does relate to how fine you grind the coffee, how small the pieces of particles of coffee are. But it's nice to simplify it and just say, hey, three to six minutes, find the time that you like best for the thing that you do consistently every day. Find that time, stick with it. And again, only mess with one variable at a time. And can I assume that leaving it in for longer on the six minute side, it's going to, how does that affect the flavor versus shorter? No, that's great. When you brew it for too short, it can often taste sour or metallic. Um, when you brew it for too long, it tastes, usually people describe it as tasting too bitter. It's a funny thing to say because all coffee tastes bitter, but there's good bitter, right? Like dark chocolate is bitter, but we like dark chocolate. 
I mean, maybe you're more of a milk chocolate guy. I'm not here to judge. Bitter is not uh, not necessarily a bad flavor, but there are there are flavors that come out that people tend to describe as bitter when you brew it for too long. If you brew it at seven minutes or eight minutes, um, a lot of those flavors are better described as astringent, um, which can be like drying in your mouth, like tannic, like a really tannic wine. Or just kind of mouth puckery, not not sour, but you know, there's there's a bunch of ways that coffee can taste bad. <laughs> if you've ever gotten that diner coffee, you you probably have experimented with some of them. But yeah, if you want to make the best cup of coffee possible, you just stick to that three to six minutes. You go too far, it tastes rubbery, bitter, astringent, asphalty, however you want to describe it. If you do too short a time, less than three minutes, it might taste sour, it might taste salty, it might might taste metallic. Got it. Okay. So last thing was temperature. Temperature. All right. Temperature is one of my favorites because, you know, coffee science has kind of changed a little bit in the last decade or two. Um, We started using tools in the coffee industry that other industries have had access to that we didn't have access to. Um, But again, just to simplify it down and not get too into it, as you know that I am prone to do, temperature, there's a minimum temperature that we like for brewing coffee. It's 195 degrees. Some people will tell you that you don't want to go over 204 or over 208. I say, screw that. Anywhere from 195 to 212 is going to be just fine. All right. The only complication that you get from temperature is people talk about cold brew. Well, I want to brew cold brew in my refrigerator or on my countertop. And that's great. If you want to do it in your refrigerator or on your countertop, you're going to need a lot more time. So I said three to six minutes. If you're doing it with cold water, that ain't going to cut it. Uh, you're going to want 12 to 24 hours. So yeah, you want to stick to that 195 to 212 if you're brewing anything hot. And if you're trying to do some sort of cold brew method, then you're going to want 12 to 24 hours because the water temperature isn't hot enough to to get everything in the that short amount of time. You need a lot more time. Well, I think uh, that's going to take us right up to the limit for today. Chris, thank you again for joining me. Thank you for coming back. And I look forward to chatting you chatting with you again next week. Uh, it's always a treat, Ryan. I'm always so happy to share this coffee, coffee knowledge with you and talk about coffee. And heck, I'm even drinking coffee right now. Talk to you soon, bud. <laughs> That sounds wonderful. Oh, thank you. I like to I like when things sound wonderful to you <laughs> and I'm glad that you're back here on the show, the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, which I'm obligated to say twenty five times in every episode. I promised you last time that we talked that we would get a little coffee nerdy today. So I'm gonna ask you a more sciencey question today. What happens during the bloom during the brewing process and for Uh, Anyone listening, my understanding of the bloom is if I fine grind some coffee to do a pour over, like when the water, the hot water first hits it and it kind of starts to bubble and it kind of crusts over a little bit. That's what I can, I think is the bloom, but maybe correct me if I'm wrong and, and what is happening in that process. Yeah. So to my understanding and how I would be, you know, teaching or training someone in a cafe setting or in a podcast setting about what, what blooming your coffee is. So what we can step back into the previous stage before coffee is even brewable and that's being the roasting process. So as we're roasting the coffee, there's going, as the like material, the matter within the coffee starts to expand and change in the, 
the heat application and roasting process, there is a buildup of CO2 in the coffee beans. And from the moment the coffee is roasted to about, some people say like 10 to 14 days, um, some may say even longer on like lighter roasts, uh, coffee is going to become more porous and it will actually start to degas and release those that, that CO2 buildup. And you, that's why some people say, you know, let your coffee rest or degas before you brew it so that there's a uh, let off of the built up carbon dioxide. And that's there on like some coffee bags, there's like a little vent. Is that mm-hmm. is kind of the same thing? I always wondered this. Is that because that gas is being released from those beans as they're sitting in the bag? Is that so the bag doesn't explode? Yeah. So actually we, that's funny you asked because at Lofty, there was a, there was a period we had like some faulty bags and that we would, you know, bag freshly roasted coffee and the bags would balloon up. Um, cause so, but they, they were faulty in the sense that they had this one way valve on it. And so that valve that you see, it, it allows air and gas out, but doesn't allow it in because we can, we, we can talk about that too, but coffee being in contact with oxygen starts to um, oxidize and also in ways can de- degas quicker. And with that, it essentially will lose some of its nuances more quickly. So it allows that CO2 and gas to, to release, but um, it doesn't allow any air back in. Got it. So that, but that kind of brings me what, what we're doing. So once we have that roasted coffee, maybe it's degassed a little bit, we're going to grind that coffee, you know, to, to brew, as you mentioned. And actually in the grinding process, we also have a lot of like off the gases kind of releasing and oxidizing, oxidization happening, happening. Uh, and that this can go, you know, we're creating more surface area and more um, area for that oxygen to come in into contact with. So we're also getting our coffee to degas a lot quicker at that stage. And this is also why you always want to brew your coffee pretty closely after you've ground it. Once you've ground it, it's it's going to start interacting with the elements around it, which um, the longer you have ground coffee just sitting there, the less nuanced, the less aroma it might have because we're letting those gases off really quickly. So now getting to the bloom aspect, to my understanding, bloom is actually a particular way of brewing. You know, you might, let's say you just pour water on top of your coffee and you're done. Um, there's going to be a degassing period in that, but I wouldn't call that the bloom and that the bloom is actually a particular thing that you're going to do at the very beginning of your brew. And what we're going to do is pour water just so your coffee grounds are saturated, but not that the water is like flowing through the coffee grounds. So it's just enough to you in most recipes, it's about twice as much water to coffee in the bloom. So if we do 20 grams of coffee, you might do 40 grams of water. Once that hot water comes in contact with that those grounds, you're going to start to it. What's it's very logical in the sense you see bubbles coming up from your coffee bed, and that is CO2 being released from the coffee. That water speeds up that degassing process. Sorry, I forgot to mention with the bloom. Usually, you'll pour that water, and maybe you'll wait for a period of time. Maybe you'll wait 30 to 45 seconds to allow those gases to release. And some of the reasons we do this is that CO2 let off is going to actually push the water away from the coffee grounds, which is going to not, 
it's going to not extract the coffee in that moment. So by, um, by letting those gases kind of come out, when we go to finally start our pour over or our brew, we've let a lot of those gases out. So now the water is going to be able to interact with the coffee a bit more, which is going to allow us to, you know, extract all those great flavors and aromas and, um, tastes from the coffee. That's so interesting because I just assumed that it was going to be a science thing I wouldn't understand where the water hits the grinds and this chemical is released to create a flavor. But it's actually because by releasing the, when you release that gas, if you just keep pouring the water into it, the gas is actually pushing the water away physically. Yeah. Yeah. From the grind itself, where the flavor is trying to get, you know, is that we want to get out. Exactly. I feel like I had an aha moment right now. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, I agree. It's all it's all there. It's all very simple. And sometimes uh, you just need those like that simple explanation. It's not too complicated. One more thing to mention. And I would for those of you brewing at home, I think it's always great to experiment because I do know like some YouTubers and other people who are like, you know what? I actually like my coffee better without the bloom or they find a particular brew method is nicer without the bloom. And so, you know, maybe if you're a go-to pour over V60 method, try try one brew with a bloom and one brew without a bloom and see what um, differences you see there. For us at Lofty, we've, we did a, quite a bit of experimentation with, with this in particular, and we always found that we got a bit more nuance and a bit more sweetness and a bit more body from um, the ones that we did a bloom with. So in our recipes, in our, in our cafes, we use a bloom. But uh, one more thing to mention is that typically CO2 may have like a bit of a, a sour flavor to it. So you can perhaps get more sweetness and less of like that kind of sour taste from it. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever, or Ryan, if you've ever made a pour over with coffee, like like 24 hours after the roast or less than like 12 hours. Like sometimes in the roasting setting, we're like, we got to taste this coffee. Like we need to, to taste it and see how it is. And so maybe it's only been 10 or 12 hours and we'll make a pour over. And even though you do a bloom, you can still, ha you have that like little like gassy flavor to it. And I would probably attribute that to the CO2 in the coffee, very much a fresh roasted coffee flavor. <laughs> Yeah, and that kind of leads into the idea that there's kind of a window of time where a coffee will be best represent the best representation of itself. You know, it's generally yeah. not the first day after roast. It's a couple of days, you mm -hmm. know, for a period of about a week, and then you're slowly starting to fade away from that. But also yeah. important, I think, to remind people that just because a coffee isn't in its peak window doesn't mean it's not good coffee or it's you shouldn't drink it. It just means it may not be the very most perfect best representation of itself, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of goes into the other topics we've talked in other episodes, you know, about different instant coffee methods, or it's like, if you have, I, I mean, mind you, I have, I have a bag of coffee, probably about four months old at this point. That's, you know, definitely not what it was when I first got it. But if I need a cup of coffee in the morning, then I still can, I can still brew it and have a, have a cup that's enjoyable. 
Well, that I think like anyone, when I really first got into craft coffee and I was very obnoxious about it, I was like, oh, well, this isn't in the window. I'm not drinking this anymore, <laughs> you know, and I would give it to the neighbor or something. Yeah. <laughs> or make cold brew. <laughs> That's what I do. I'll, a lot of times I'll, I'll like all the little bits and ends of coffee bags or people coffee people get I'll put into one thing and I'll, I'll make cold brew out of it. And you're like, you know what? <laughs> this, this works. That's part of that. I, it, I'm always amazed. I always think it's funny that people who work in coffee are generally less peculiar, or particular about the coffee that they're drinking necessarily, because they also can extrapolate. Like, I think that's part of it. Like, I have more of a uh, Ian uh, Nelson used this term uh, recently on the show called uh, palate vocabulary, mm-hmm. where if I drink a coffee that's four months old and or four weeks old, and it isn't you know, perfect or isn't great, I can extrapolate a little bit more what it probably was like. And I'm not going to just dismiss that coffee forever because mm-hmm. I had it out of its perfect window or whatever. I can, totally. I can appreciate it and understand based on the timeline that I, the little bit of timeline that I understand, you know, where that coffee might've come from and enjoy yeah. it for what it is today. Yeah. As we're talking about the bloom um, and we're talking about kind of this saturation of water, I wanted to ask you today about the water itself. I've done shows all about water, but I kind of specifically wanted to learn more about what the Specialty Coffee Association, the SEA, says about water. I tried to look at the, you know, they have a PDF about water stuff online, and it was too complicated for me. I glazed over real fast and was really bored. So I'm hoping that you can like explain a little bit better for me what they're thinking about coffee uh, about the water that's going into our coffee and and why it matters i mean i think i'm gonna ramble on for just a second but i think you know we all realize that different places in the world have different tasting water where you know a city might have a different water source where your water is coming from is it being processed how it's being processed i don't know about you but when i was a kid our elementary school went to like a water processing train like plant to like see that and the you know it was mostly most kids kind of remember the part where they see like sewage which is kind of gross but also like those are in the same place like we are processing water generally at the same place so what is the SCA saying about the water going to our coffee and does it matter for somebody just at home yeah so I love this question and actually so I um I do some like educational virtual classes and this is a lot of times those, those folks, they don't know anything about brewing. You know, they're either used to instant coffee or just like the auto brewers or whatnot. And so I definitely, this is something I try to bring a lot of attention to because especially in specialty coffee, we bring so, we do so much for that perfect, delicious cup of coffee and in the sense of quality coffee beans, you know, you go to a lot of specialty shops, you know, are selling a 25 to $30 bag of coffee. There is so much being done for that one bag of coffee that if we're not considering the one other ingredient that's going into brewing, we're kind of like not doing that coffee justice, right? Because when we're brewing, and actually at the end of the day, after you've brewed your espresso, your pour over, you know, only about two, 2%, two to 3% of that cup of coffee is actually coffee at that point. Uh, the majority of it is actually water. So 
if you're thinking about also in a culinary sense, like you have all these delicious local organic ingredients and then you just use the like factory farm chicken after, <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, that's like you just not put you're putting a lot of emphasis on all these other ingredients and then kind of forgetting about a very important ingredient. And so it's important that when we brew, we brew with clean filtered water. That's typically where if I'm teaching people brand new, don't know anything, just use clean filtered water and you'll get a decent result. But we could get further into it. And I'd say from my understanding, SCA has done a lot of research into knowing the exact mineral content and compounds within water to have the optimal extraction and flavor of coffee. I would I would want to interrupt and just say that 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 concept in and of itself is one that I don't think people are always thinking about and I don't think about when I pour a glass of water I don't think this is actually filled with a whole bunch of stuff. I go it's right? filled with water and it's it's clear so there's nothing else in it, but that's just not true. Yeah, exactly. And and you made a great point or like depending where you are in the world, you're going to have different contents or different amounts of different contents within that water. And so some of the some of the few things we're looking for according to, you know, the SCA standards is first, of course, a, a water that is odor free. So that's a that's an easy one, right? We can smell the water, we know there's no it's odor free, maybe it's clean or fresh smelling. Um second is like looking at the water, right? Like can we see that it is clear and there's no off colors in that water and then uh i like in a cafe setting we don't pay attention to this too much but if we're talking about like sca standards they recommend a seven ph ph of seven of your water um and then there's things like alkalinity and sodium and calcium and chlorine that are are a lot of times in perhaps tap water and uh SCA has very specific standards to how much of each of that is. Like I, I have, I have this written down here for, for us just so I get it right. Um, but they're saying, you know, total chlorine is going to be zero. Um, and then an alkaline, uh, the alkalinity being about uh, 40 milligrams. And again, that pH being seven and sodium being about 10 milligrams to a liter we're talking. So that's going to be ideal water. One way in a cafe setting we kind of maintain that is we use uh, very high-end water filters. And again, speaking to to Lofty's standard, we are calibrating and testing that filter on a a weekly basis. Um, And we're keeping the water, we measure it through parts per million. And what that does is it measures the, the parts per million within the solids within the water. And we're, we're aiming for a 120 to 130 in our calibration. So we're testing that just using a simple water uh, TDS PPM meter, reading that and then adjusting as needed. But, you know, something I'm going to backtrack a little bit because, yes, we want really good water to extract, but what happens to the coffee when it isn't in this range. And I think that's something valid to, to address. And that being, if we have very hard water, so 
water that has a lot of mineral content. Maybe it's a little cloudy looking or perhaps it's tap water from San Diego. I can speak to our tap water is not, it's a, it's a bit harder on the harder end. When we go to brew coffee with that, uh, you can, a lot of times, especially if that water has like already, like perhaps not the cleanest flavor, when we, we can think of how that would result in the cup of coffee is that it might not have a very clean quality to it, that maybe the flavors are a little bit muddled. And I've even found that perhaps with really hard water, you're actually going to under extract your coffee because there's already so many solids within the water that when that water starts to try try to extract solids from the coffee, you know, I almost think of it as like there not being enough room in the water to hold all those solids because it's already taken up by all these minerals. Uh, and so you could have a muddled kind of under extracted or like lacking clarity or like nuanced flavors um, in a in a cup of coffee that's brewed with harder water. And on the other hand, if we're using water that's very um, like soft, they call it soft water, like if you brewed coffee with just distilled water, you know, I, I find that you're going to have a lot more like sharper flavors. Um, and same thing, the way I think about it is just like, if there's only so much water and there's so much room in the water that like there could be kind of more over extracted flavors using a very soft coffee or soft water um, as well. Uh, in my experience, I've found sometimes you get a little bit of like a metallic flavor from very soft waters. So those are things like if, if you're finding these kind of qualities in your brew, perhaps that's your water quality. But then going back to that like ideal water um there's also some really cool uh products out on the market again if you're wanting to have perfect brewing water uh ryan have you ever heard of third wave uh third wave water i have not they're not the only ones out there but they definitely are very popular they were the first that i ever saw but they're essentially just like these little packets of minerals that are made to have just the right amount kind of according to that SCA standard. And you, according to whichever size packet you have, you get a certain amount of distilled water and you just add the, that mineral to the distilled water. And that will be an ideal quote unquote, the perfect water to brew specialty coffee. What it's reminding me of is, and I know I do this all the time, everyone, I am sorry, but I refer to uh, the beer industry because it's just something I knew for so long, but especially larger breweries, think your Budweiser's or your Miller Lights uh, or Miller's uh, Coors, a lot of times they'll bring water in and then essentially run it through a process where they remove all of those minerals out and then they add them back in, kind of like what you're saying with this yeah. distilled third wave. Like they can take in local water and they essentially run it through a process, remove everything, and then add the minerals back in that they want. And that's part of the reason they're able to keep their beer consistent, mm -hmm. even though it's being produced all over the country in different places, because their base, uh, their foundation ingredient of water is the same no matter what. And that's kind of what that reminded me of was just this idea that they kind of strip away all of those local flares and start with something that they've created, which kind of makes me wonder if there's actually a an appeal for some coffee people to get coffee in certain regions because of the local, you know, flavor, because they it is unique. I, I do notice sometimes, like if I buy a bag of your, say, Morning Glory coffee and I have it at your shop 
I might love it there and then make it at home and be like, oh, I should just go to the shop because it's not as good when I make it myself. And there's a million variables that that could be, but it could be that maybe my water isn't filtered that day or whatever. But is there is there uh, any benefit to say, no, like I'm going to use the local water and this particular coffee is better because I'm doing that? Or is that just me being romantic about it? That's a that's an interesting question. I think that goes into like, I definitely, I'll, I'll admit, I don't know the answer to that, but it's like, it's a great prompt for like an experiment, like for an experiment <laughs> where I'm wondering, like, perhaps maybe on the roast level, depending on how light or how dark it is maybe like a certain I'm almost thinking like maybe a dark roast would maybe do better with like uh like a little bit of a harder water or like you know I think maybe the roast has something to do with it but I'm not sure I don't know (laughs) well that's that's what I'm going to be marinating I think yeah I don't know that there is a right answer to it I mean it's but I'm thinking just about like parts of the world that maybe gravitated towards coffee faster. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was because it their water quality. Maybe it tasted yeah. better when they brewed it, and that seems like there could be could be a correlation, and it could just be me imagining things. Before I let you go today, because I know we're on a bit of a tighter timeline than normal, I wanted to ask you about Lofty. We're we're in fully into summer uh, or June gloom. Um, as it's known here, mm-hmm. what what's kind of new for you guys? What what's what have you been building up to? What's in line for Lofty? Anything new and exciting people should know about? Yeah, there's a there's quite a lot actually. We have the most epic single origin lineup of coffee right now. That I'm initially when when we launched it, I was a little nervous because it was the most. Op, like most single origin options we've ever had usually we keep it to like three to four options and right now we have I'm, I'm gonna have to remember exactly I think we have seven single origin options which it's the most we've ever had and again I was a little nervous initially like you know how is our how is our customer base going to respond to so many options and it has been going really well. And I was wondering, you know, seeing, you know, with more options, are we going to start to like sell less coffee in the sense, like move through our coffee more slowly. And I will say, I don't, I don't think that's been the case. And it's, it's been interesting to see how having those options for a, a wider set of tastes has done us an amazing. It's been amazing. And it's also fun in the cafe setting because there's just so many options that you can have a different coffee all the time. You know, uh, I can run us through. We have two coffees from Ethiopia and I love doing like one washed and one natural because it's a great way of being like, hey, these are two coffees from the same or similar regions, but they're just processed differently. So you can kind of do like a little tasting with a friend if you wanted um, and kind of see how the processing method affects the flavor. Then we have one of the coffees I'm the most excited about is a coffee from Papua New Guinea, which I find that uh, coffee origin to be fascinating. And this coffee is so delightful. It tastes like grilled pineapple and brown sugar. It's just delicious. Um, Then we have a coffee from longtime partners. uh, They're the the Chacon family from Costa Rica from a farm called Las Lajas. And we have a natural processed coffee from them. And then we have a 
delightful, approachable, washed Peruvian coffee. <laughs> um, I We have a washed Guatemalan from uh, the the apprentice family I was telling you about. The farm's called Finca de Dios. Um, and what else? <laughs> I think well, we have one. It's a lot. Is, it's yeah, this is why we need to have a like coffee passport or like an untapped but for coffee where all of these are collated somewhere or collated is not the right word but they're all uh collected and uh we can go and start checking them off and like yeah I, I, that would be I don't awesome use, yeah i don't use untapped uh which is like a beer rating app to track what you do because i find that i get competitive and mm. i just want to try more things instead of actually like really it's more about quantity than quality for me that's just me no, nothing against the app but I feel like with coffee, it would be that would be a great way to start learning origins and mm-hmm. uh, also start learning like what it is that I'm finding appealing. Like, do I notice that I start rating this origin, like you know, Ethiopia coffees this way more consistently versus this way, which is hard to track. You know, if you're just when you buy a bag of coffee and you drink a bag a week, or you go to a couple yeah. coffee shops. So. Yeah, definitely takes a lot of notation. <laughs> yes, I have so many notepads now. <laughs> Siri, thank you so much for coming back and talking coffee with us. I am always so grateful for your time and just your knowledge. And uh, and and thank you. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said, it's always a delightful way to spend my weekend chatting with you about the thing that I love and totally nerding out and coming. You know, you always have amazing questions that I feel like I don't always ask myself. And so I always find our conversations to be very <laughs> thought provoking and keep me on my toes, which I'm is, is important for me in where I'm at in my journey through coffee. So thank you so much. Well, I'm glad I could, I could be in service. You're welcome. <laughs> Okay, to recap, water is the main ingredient in coffee and very important to the end result. Chris and Siri are both much smarter about coffee than I. And finally, I'm still out in the woods instead of being home in the closet podcast studio. Thanks for listening to this water recap and for going to roastwestcoast.com and signing up for this show's newsletter. If you find value there, please subscribe, free or paid, although paid subscriptions are how we grow this podcast. A special shout out to Lil Baggins Coffee. Thank you for subscribing earlier this week. I also need to thank Cafe La Terre, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, Marea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importer, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Moster Coffee Company, and Ascend Coffee Roasters, all great industry partners. Thank you for listening and supporting this show. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope that this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.